All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and so glad that we can begin our week uh, being encouraged together, worshiping our God together, uh, hearing from His Word. If, again, if you're new, we're so glad that you're here. Hope you feel very welcomed by us and, and encouraged in your walk with Christ. Or if you're exploring Christianity, I uh, hope that you feel really encouraged in your exploration. So anyways, uh, as we get started, let me uh, confess something to you. Um, I've never been a fan of the phrase, you are what you eat. Never, never been a fan of that. But primarily because I'm not real disciplined in what I eat. I, I'm sure that's a surprise to you considering my incredible physique, but it, it's true. Uh, like uh, Tuesday was my birthday. And uh, yes, thanks. Happy birthday to me. Um, and, uh, we, so, and all I wanted to do for my birthday was eat any food that Aaron Franklin cooks. And so for two, that day, we went to Franklin Barbecue uh, for lunch. And then that night, we went to Aaron Franklin's other new restaurant. I think it's called LaRoe. Is that how you pronounce it? And, and ate that for dinner. And it was an incredible birthday. So again, not a big fan of the phrase, you are what you eat. I don't know. Are, are you? I mean, if you look back over the last 24 hours of your life, does that phrase, ex, you know, encourage you or horrify you? <laughs> yeah, right? Hey, did you know, here's, some, here's a little trivia for you. Uh, did you know that that phrase was coined back in 1920 by a, a guy named Victor Lindlar? I think I'm saying that right. Here's what he actually said. 90% of the diseases known to man are caused by cheap foodstuffs, which by the way, awesome word. How are we not using that regularly? Uh, you are what you eat. Now, uh, what's interesting is that uh, as we've been talking about in this series, I think this statement, though true for our physical bodies, you could also make the cases true for our spiritual selves, for our souls. In fact, we've been in this series uh, for the last two weeks. We're uh, you know, closing it down uh, today, but the series has all been called Feed Yourself, and it's all about how um, just like our bodies are not self-sustaining, they're not self-sufficient, that we need food to keep us alive, uh, our soul is the same way, that our souls were not made to be self-sufficient, self-sustaining, and that we need to feed our souls, that your soul needs feeding, and it needs to be fed well, like you need some really good soul food. And what we've been saying throughout this series is that uh, what God tells us in Scripture is that what you take in with your eyes, and what you consume with your heart and mind will impact the health of your soul, just like what you take in to your body through food will impact the health of your physical bodies. And therefore, to care for our soul, we got to be careful what we take in, and we got to be intentional to feed our souls well. And according to Scripture, according to Jesus, the best soul food there is, is the Word of God. It's God's Word. And so throughout this series, we've been encouraging each other to spend time daily in the Word of God, to study it and to reflect on it. And today we're going to talk about uh, applying it. Um, because out of, a, guys, out of a, just a pastoral desire, out of a real care for each one of you, like we just want to say, for your own good, to really care for your soul. Take this step. Make it a habit. Practice it regularly that you would spend time with God in his word, letting him nourish your soul. Let's not walk around malnourished like we often do. 
first week I, I talked about how many of us would say we, we feel like we lack the, the spiritual, uh, you know, just like vibrancy that we wish we had. And I often think that the re- result of that or the reason why that is is because we are spiritually malnourished. Let's go to God's Word. Let's spend time in it. And, and so we talked the first week. We've been using this kind of metaphor of feeding yourself. And we said, okay, the first week we got to call, call us to taste it, which is to read God's Word. And then the second week, uh, Justin talked last week on, on reflecting on God's Word, which, which we would use the, the idea of chewing on it and uh, to actually really study it. Matt Tolander has been doing an awesome class the last two, two weeks about how to do that really well. I appreciate him teaching that. And then today, we're going to talk about uh, responding to it or digesting it, which is the idea of, okay, let God's Word nourish us by putting it to work, putting it to, you know, actually putting it to practice, applying it in our lives. And so uh, this morning, here's where we're going. We're going to spend some time reflecting on the importance of, God, of applying God's Word and then the difficulty that comes with trying to apply it. And then I want to point us to how God's Word leads us to applying God's word. All right, so that's where we're going. Let me pray, and we'll get into that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would uh, impress this truth upon us. And the Spirit, you would give us ears to hear what you have to say, and that you would uh, drive within us a hunger to, to feed on your word, to spend time with you through it, to grow in our intimacy with you through it, and that we would live in light of our dependence on you to nourish our souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, to highlight the importance of uh, applying God's Word, I'm going to take us to two passages this morning. The first passage is found in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to go there in your Bible or pull it up on your Bible app, we'll be at Matthew 7 verse 24. And uh, as you go there, let me uh, just remind you that this is, or let you know, like this, is, this passage happens at the very end of the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And that this is, these words, these few verses we're going to look at, it's kind of how he brings the whole thing to a close. It's how he, he kind of lands the plane. He says, okay, given everything that I've said, in fact, he starts off with this word, therefore. So like, therefore, given everything I've just taught, and he, he just taught a lot about what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And he has incredible teaching, and everybody was just eating it up, and they just, they'd never heard anything like it before. And then he comes to a close, he says, okay, therefore, here's, here's, what, here's what you need to keep in mind before I wrap up. He says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then he gives a contrast and he says this in the next verse. In the next verse, there we go. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Okay, now, guys, what's the difference between these two people? The man that's like the the, the foolish man and the man that's like the the wise man. What's, What's the difference? They both hear Jesus teaching, right? They're both listening to what he has to say. So it's not like one's ignoring Jesus and one is listening to Jesus. No, they're both there. They're both listening to God's word. What's the difference? It's, it's this, right? The next slide shows it's, the, it's that one puts it into practice 
and one doesn't. See that? That's the only difference. And Jesus would say, this is the wise, wise man, and this is the, the foolish man. Wise woman. Foolish woman. It all comes down to whether you put it in to practice. Now, here, here's what's interesting. I don't know why, but there's just this tendency. I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but for me, I feel like when I have heard God's word, whether I hear it taught on a Sunday morning or whether I hear it on a podcast or whether I'm opening up the Bible and reading it for myself, I feel like when I listen to God's word, I've done something. Like that in and of itself is like the thing. And if I listen to it and I agree with it, especially if I feel convicted by it, if I'm like, oh, man, that was, that was good. You know, I needed to hear that. And then I'll walk away feeling like something big has happened spiritually for me, even if I don't do a single thing differently, having heard it. And this is what Jesus says. I'm a fool if that's what I do. And here's what Jesus says to you. You're a fool if that's what you do. And it's a strong language, but like, think about it. This is common sense. If, if you're in other areas of your life, the non-spiritual areas of your life, we get this, right? I mean, if I get in the car with you and you say, hey, man, don't forget to buckle up. And I'm like, oh, man, I needed to hear that. I had forgotten about that. that was, whew, that's a good word, man. It's a good word. You got me on that one. And then I don't buckle up, and then the storms of life come, and we get in a car wreck. I'm not going to be okay, right? Even though I agreed with it, even though I heard it, even though I was convicted by it, if I don't put it into practice, I'm not doing okay. Well, guys, it's, this, it's, it's that times 10 with God's word. But how quickly we can deceive ourselves into thinking that just hearing it is good enough, is sufficient. No, Jesus says, no, no, no. The difference between the wise person, the difference between the foolish person is one hears and puts it into practice and one hears and doesn't put it into practice. Friends, are are you living like the wise person or the foolish person? Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus' half-brother, James, who also wrote a book in the New Testament in the Bible, uh, he picks up on what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, and he adds kind of his own little brother twist to it but to, to reinforce what Jesus said. Now, before I read it, I, I don't want to rush past this because this is always amazing to me, but like, did you know that we have a letter written by the brother of Jesus? Like, if, <laughs> if, if it came out in the news that an archaeologist tomorrow found a letter written by, confirmed, by the brother of Jesus, it would be front page news all over the entire world. Everyone would want to read what the brother of Jesus wrote and what he thought about Jesus and what he's, he taught and all that. Everyone would read that. Well, guys, here, here's this. We have that. It, it was just discovered a long time ago. It's in your Bible. It's the book of James. The brother of Jesus wrote this. And amazingly, he, he actually worshiped his brother as God and his Savior. And I always ask the question, uh, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he's God? Like whatever that was, whatever that Jesus did that for James, it's just amazing. You should read that. That's a great part of the Bible. You you should read. But anyways, he writes this and he reaffirms what his brother had said, what Jesus had said, what his Savior and God the Son had said in 
the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he writes. We've actually looked at this passage every, uh, every Sunday of this series. He says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Does that sound familiar? I mean, that is exactly a summary of what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, is it not? He goes on and he adds, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but what's that? Doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What's he emphasize here? Put it into practice. Hear it. Don't deceive yourself by just listening and thinking that's, that's enough. Put it into practice. Then you'll be blessed in what you do. And, and that's a big promise, right? They will be blessed in what they do. But ask this question, what are they doing? What are they doing? This is what they're doing. They're putting God's word into practice. And why does putting God's word, applying God's word into practice result in blessing? Or why are you blessed when you do that? Well, because, guys, God is good. And because God is good, all that he says is good. And therefore, to do what he says is to live the best way. It's to be blessed in what you do because it's the, you're living according to the best way to live. One of my favorite verses on Scripture is Psalm 119, 68. And it says this, God, you're good, and what you do is good, so teach me your decrees. Or literally, so God, in light of who you are and that everything you do is good, tell me what to do. Because your way is best. Because God is good, his way is best. And that's why when you put it into practice, you apply what he says, you will be blessed in what you do. Because his way is best. Okay. Given that, though, let's be honest. Applying God's word is difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to do it. It's hard to be intentional about it. It's, it's hard to submit yourself to God's word, see it as authoritative, and decide to do whatever he says in it. That's really, really difficult. I mean, it's so much easier, so much easier just to listen to what God has to say, just to read it, and then feel good about yourself and go your merry way. Let nothing change having read it. That, that's way more comfortable. It's way easier. If you feel that way, no, I feel that way as well. I think Jesus and James understood that people felt that way. That's why these two passages are included in the Scripture. Like this is a common desire, a common practice to, to deceive ourselves and think of man just having heard from Jesus is enough. I'm good now. He, they speak to it because that's, a, that's such a common tendency in us. Why is that such a common tendency in us? Well, I think there are different reasons, but I think one of the, the primary reasons, one of the major reasons is this. We don't like being told what to do. Can you, can you relate to that? We, we don't like being told what to do. And, and that the idea that when you read God's word and what he says in it is, so, is what we are supposed to do, then like something in us pushes up against that. We don't want to submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. We don't want to say, okay, man, i got to think differently now that God told me to think differently. i got to do, i got to act differently because God's Word told me to act differently. We would rather just do what we want to do. We'd rather believe what we 
want to believe. I know that, like, I'm speaking personally on that. I mean, there are parts of the Bible that I just have a hard time with. Can you relate to that? I mean, there's things in Scripture that I, you know, I just disagree with, that I don't want to do when it tells me what to do. And some things I don't even want to believe that it says that I should believe. Can you relate to that? Like, I mean, love your enemies? <laughs> like, that sounds nice. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's good. But when it's personal and I have to love someone who's mistreated me, like, eh, I think I'll pass on that one, right? Or put others' interests ahead of my own? Hmm. Yeah, only if they're doing it first, right? I mean, that's what I want to say. Or, like, or just the, 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 the fact of the reality of hell and judgment. And I'm like, man, I, gosh, if I was writing this, I would like to have left that out. I'm not, I don't want to believe that that's true. And guys, there's things in Scripture that go against what our culture says is right and is really should be valued and how we should live. And when, when it goes against your own personal desires, it goes against cultural beliefs, man, it's just so hard to decide that you're going to put it into practice and you're going to do what it says and you're going to let the Bible teach you and tell you what to believe and what to do. Man, you feel me on that? You feel that sometimes? Man, I know I do. Okay, here's what I want you to consider, though. If I've lost you at any point, try to, try to look up, try to, try to pay attention a little bit here because there's, there's something that I want us to, to consider. See, submitting ourselves to God's word feels like losing control, and it requires going against our own desires and at will at times if we're going to actually apply it. And that's really difficult. But here's the thing. That also is, the very, is like a very essential part of being in a relationship with someone. I want you to think about the nature of relationships. See, Krista and I, my wife and I, we've been married for 14 years. And uh, one of the things that we have learned in our 14 years together is that to be in a personal relationship with one another requires us laying down our will at times on benefit of the other. To not get our way at times, but instead to let the other person get their way, to, to not always get to do what you want to do, but to let the other person do what they want to do. That's an essence of a relationship. That's your key element. So like I said earlier, I went to Franklin's Barbecue on my birthday. Well, Crystal was the one who went with me to Franklin's Barbecue on my birthday, and we waited in line for four and a half hours. Literally, we got there at 8.15 in the morning. We didn't get our food till after 12.45. It was hot on Tuesday. Perhaps you remember it. It was really, really hot, and it was also the best brisket I ever had and totally worth it. Highly recommend, but here's the thing. Krista would not have chosen to do that on her own. And believe me, we will not be standing in line at Franklin's Barbecue on her birthday. <laughs> but she was willing to do that because she loves me. And being in a personal relationship, she lets her will be crossed. She lets, she, she lets me have my way at times. You see, that's a part of an essential relationship. Personal relationship. What do you call a personal? What do you call a relationship where you have two parties and one always gets their way? One always calls the shots. One always is the one who who uh, is telling the other what to do, and the other has to do it. What do we call that? 
See, we don't call that a healthy relationship, right? We, we would perhaps call that an abusive relationship or slavery or, ex, you know, exploitation. Now, being in a, a personal relationship requires letting go of your will at times, putting the other person first, doing what they have to say. It's the essence of a relationship. Okay, now apply that to your relationship with God. See, a sure sign that you're in a personal relation with God is that your relationship with him results in you losing some control, losing some independence, and believing and doing things even when it's not what you would believe or do if you were not in a relationship with him. Now consider this. If you pick and choose what parts of the Bible you accept and what parts of the Bible that you'll apply and what parts you will reject and disregard, how can God ever cross your will? How can he ever contradict you? How can he ever change what you believe or do? Friends, I I, I would suggest to you that he can't. That's why applying God's word, believing what God says in it and obeying what God says in it is a defining characteristic of a personal relationship with God. If you pick and choose what you will agree with and obey in the Bible, then you are calling all the shots. You are making God into what you want him to be, and you are doing only what you feel is right. And that, that's a sign of an exploitative relationship with God or even a false relationship with him. Think about what Dietrich Bonhoeffer and German uh, theologian and, and Nazi and spy against the Nazis, which is awesome. He said this, if it is I who says where God will be, I will always find there a false God. A God in some way who corresponds to me, is agreeable to me, and fits in with my nature. So here it is. Applying God's word is definitely difficult. It's a lot easier just to listen to what he has to say and do, and, and then, uh, but go your own way, not actually apply it. It's hard to have our wills crossed and to lose freedom as a result of submitting to what he says and applying it. However, applying God's word is a defining characteristic of having a personal relationship with God. It is not what forms a relationship, that's Jesus and the work that he's done on our behalf, but it is something that reveals that you have a relationship with him. And the more that you apply God's word, submitting yourself to do it, it leads to greater intimacy when you say, and I'm willing to have my will crossed in order to do what you have asked me to do. But here's the thing. It's still hard, right? I mean, my, my point in that is to say, like, early, that last point is to say, okay, this is, it's difficult to do, but it's also the essence of a relationship, a healthy relationship. But that doesn't make it still easy to do. So what, what would make you want to do that, to apply God's word and to submit yourself to it? What will make you want to do that? And that's this last point here, how God's word leads to applying God's word. Let me tell you what, what makes me want to do it, what makes it at least easier, not always easy, but easier to apply God's word and to submit myself under it is when I remember what God's word did for me. Here's what I mean by that. 
In John chapter 1, John the Apostle, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, begins the account of Jesus' life in this way. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, that's an interesting way to refer to Jesus, is it not? To call him the, call him the word, like why, why, would he, why would he do that? What's, what's the point of calling him the word? Well, think about this. Why do we use words? Well, you, we use words, rather, you know, written or verbal, we use words to express ourselves, to communicate something about you know, who we are and what we're feeling, our thoughts and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, God, we're told, has perfectly expressed himself in two ways. That when God expressed himself in text, the word of God, the Bible, this, <laughs> it was perfectly done. Psalm 119, 160 states it this way, that all your words are true, all your righteous laws are eternal. But God's word, though perfect, was not fully sufficient to fully communicate who God is and what he's like and what he's done and what we, he wants us to do. And so God also expressed himself in another way. God's word made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. As John 1 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, to really understand who God is and what we are to do, we need God's word made text and flesh. Now, here's the fascinating thing. If you're following me, try to follow me here. Um, remember what I said about the nature of a personal relationship? Like, to have a personal relationship, you have to lose some independence, lose some control, have our will crossed, or it's not a personal relationship. Well, choosing to apply God's word made text is how we lose some of our control, some of our independence. It's how our will is crossed. When God says to do something, we're like, I'd rather not do that. It's like, no, I'm going to do that. I choose to apply that. That's how I, we have our wills crossed, right? Obviously. But how does God ever have his will crossed? And we've said, if, if you're not in a relationship, I mean, the, the elements of the essence of a personal relationship is that you have to have both parties have their wills crossed, right? Well, how does God ever have his will crossed? Why, how does God ever give up some control or some independence, if you will? It's this, guys. It's God's word made flesh. See, think about what Jesus said in the garden. Matthew 26, verse 39. Knowing that he's about to be arrested and crucified, he says... And we're told, he fell on, with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, he said, Father, I don't want to do this. Father, I know that I have to die in order to pay for their sins. I know I have to die in order for their debts to be paid, but I don't want to drink the cup. I don't want to suffer the wrath of your judgment. I don't want to do this. But losing control, not acting independently to doing only what he wants to do, 
He has his will crossed. Not my will, but yours be done. And he goes to the cross in order to make it possible for us to have a personal relationship with God, to enable the possibility for us through faith in what he has done for us to enter into that relationship with God. This is what God has done for us to be in a personal relationship with him. Now, given that, Given what God, the, God's word made flesh did for us, let me ask you, can that move you to apply God's word made text? And it helps me big time. Because when it comes down to it, I have to really trust, God, are you good and is your way really best? And in light of God's word made flesh, the answer is a resounding yes, he is good and his way really is best. When I wonder, God, when you tell me what to do, do you, really, do you really know what's best for me? And are you willing to do and tell me what is best for me? When in light of God's word made flesh, the answer is a resounding yes, absolutely. And God's word made flesh enables and moves me to apply God's word made text. And friends, I offer that to you to say, uh, may it help you as well. When you look to Jesus and you see how he's loved you, what he's done for you, and how he's given up his life for you, even having his will crossed in order for you to be in a relationship with him, may it move you to say, you know what, even when I'm in the word and there's something that God says that I don't want to do, I'll say, yes, I'm, I'll do it in light of what he has done for me. Because I can trust him. Because I know he loves me. Because I know he's good. And so his way is best. Even when I disagree with it. He knows more than I do. He's better than I am. So let me apply it. Because that's, that's my challenge for you today. May God's word made text move us to apply God's word. God's word made flesh move us to apply God's word made text. And as we do, then it will help us not be foolish. That we can be wise people who I don't just listen to God's word and then go about our business, but we listen to his word and we apply it. We put it into practice. And in doing so, found our lives on the rock. So as we wrap up this whole series, here's the big thought I want to leave you with. Your soul is nourished and cared for when you feed on God's word by reading it and reflecting on it and responding to it by putting it into practice. So here's my last challenge for you, kind of giving you a few challenges during the series. Uh, back in the beginning of the series, we, we encouraged you to make a commitment to read God's Word every day for 21 days. I'd like to encourage you to uh, continue that. Or if you've fallen away from that, to pick back up. Or if you're first time you're hearing that, to jump in with us. But to ex ex expand that duration of time to say, okay, every, every day I'm going to make it a priority to nourish my soul by reading God's word, reflecting on it, and putting it into practice. Will, will you do that? I mean, I know we don't like being told what to do, but in light of what we've been talking about, in light of Jesus, will you make the commitment to allow God to care for your soul by feeding it through his word? I want to really encourage you to make that commitment even right now, to say, God, I'm going to do that. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to open up your word, and I'm going to let you nourish my soul. And that's going to become my practice. Here's what I know, friends. If you make that commitment, 
you're going to need some help along the way. And I just really want to encourage you to get connected to a community, whether it's a midtown community or whether it's a huddle, a smaller group of people who will help encourage each other to be, spend time in the Word and push each other to actually questions, not just did you read God's Word, but what did you do with it? Have you put it into practice? You need those kind of people in your life. There's never been a time in my entire since middle school, <laughs> since middle school, there's never been a time in my life where I haven't had a, a group of people that I met with on a weekly basis to help me walk with God. And I have been so blessed by that. And I want to again offer that to you to say, man, we want to pr- help provide that. So if on your connection card, there's a box for Midtown Community. If you check that, we'll get in touch with you this week and help you get connected to some friends if you don't have them already that will help, that you can meet with regularly, help you. Follow through on this practice, applying God's word in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Okay, we're going to end this morning by uh, taking communion. And uh, communion is our opportunity for us to remember and to reflect on what I was just talking about. See, because when we take communion, we're remembering Jesus, God's word made flesh, how he came and had his body broken for us and his blood spilled for us that we could come into a personal relationship with him, that he willingly did that, sacrificed to that extent, doing what in the garden he didn't want to do in that moment so that we could enter into a relation with him. Guys, as you take the bread and you take the cup, remember and ask God to drive that truth that he loves you and cares for you and is that good to deep into your heart, to drive that deep into your heart. And then, guys, I would encourage you just to ask, as, as he drives that in your heart, that this is how he's done for you. Ask him to, to move it, to move you to a place where you're more willingly going to apply God's word-made text in light of what God's word-made flesh did for you. Communion table is open for anyone who has placed their faith alone in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You don't have to be a partner here at a church to take communion. If you've never trusted in Christ alone for forgiveness of your sins, I'd encourage you to even use this time to consider that. That this is what God has done for you. He loves you this much. Hope that you would believe it today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, first of all, for your word made flesh. That Jesus, you willingly came to earth to die in our place, to pay the debt that we could not pay. And God, you, in doing so, laid down your life, had your body broken, your blood spilled, that we could be brought into a restored relation with you and find eternal life in you, Christ. Now, we give you praise. And when you take that truth as we take communion and drive it into our hearts, and Lord, may you move us to then, in light of who you are and your goodness, to apply your word made text. You know, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's given to us to nourish our souls and then we grow our intimacy with you. Will you make us, God, into people who aren't just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.